Here we go. Hello. You have reached the first episode of Riot and Frolic. On today's episode, for no particular reason, I'll be reading Things You Can Control at a Ballroom Dance Competition, which I'll link to in the notes. Hi guys, welcome to Riot and Frolic, a mostly ballroom dance podcast in which I'll read my dance-tastic posts from the blog, along with all the volume, emphasis, unintended sidebars, and double entendres you'd expect. (laughs) So while the name of this episode is Things You Can Control at a Ballroom Dance Competition, I'm going to start by listing things you cannot control at a ballroom dance competition. Are you ready? Here we go. How hot the ballroom is. How cold the ballroom is. How slick the floor is. How sticky the floor is. How crowded the floor is. How empty the floor is. How big the floor is. How small the floor is. When you dance very early. When you dance very late. When you dance all of your heats in a row. When you dance your heats spread out throughout the day. When they are ahead, when they are running ahead of schedule, when they are running behind schedule, how long each heat is danced, what tempo the music is, how strong the beat is, what song is played. Remember, I'm listing off things that you cannot control. How many people are watching? How few people are watching? Where other couples dance? When? other couples dance, how other couples dance, how other couples place, how you place, how much time you have in between heats if you dance more than one style, and what your partner is doing. So on a couple of those things, there are regulations. Uh, Unless you're dancing at a very uh, unchartered competition, like tempos, Um, and how long each heat is danced and how early they can run are all regulated by, I'm going to just use NDCA and USA Dance as my organizations. Um, but with the amount of music that music directors have to put together and have to keep track of, um, they don't like, you know, 95% of the time it is dead on and they're playing like nice strong beats for bronze waltz that are a little bit faster. And then once you get to open waltz, they're playing uh, like way less of a downbeat, very ethereal things that are slower. Um, But there are tempo ranges that they're supposed to stay within. But the point is that with all of the music that they have to put together for each comp, like, you know, one or two slip through. And sometimes you end up dancing a little bit faster or a little bit slower than the regulations say, or you end up dancing a little bit shorter or a little bit longer. Um, So those are just all things that can happen. Now, here is an important list. The things you can control at a ballroom dance competition. Are you ready? You should write them down. Hold on. Here we go. Your dancing and your look. Well... That second list is short, but here's the hard fact about comps. The only thing you have control over is yourself, but 
Many of the uncontrollable aspects of competition can be managed with proper preparation of just, I'm using air quotes, which don't work auditorially. Is that a word? But I'm going to go with it. (laughs) The proper preparation of just your dancing and your look. You can, yeah, you can practice as many ridiculous situations as possible, as many times as possible, because they're all going to happen. You'll end up dancing open American Viennese waltz on a 12-foot square platform, four feet off the ground for 500 executives. I mean, not at a competition, but it could happen because it did. You'll get tripped on purpose by a drunk pro during a pro-am competition with your student. You'll have to duck, bob, weave, and separate from your partner completely, like for floor craft issues, not just choreography. You'll have a wardrobe malfunction. You'll dance at 1 a.m. after starting at 6 a.m. or vice versa. You'll get kicked, stepped on, and elbowed. You'll pause in one place for more than a measure. You'll fall down. You'll forget your routine entirely. And my favorite one, you'll dance to Inchworm in an open professional final. If you don't know the song Inchworm, please go look it up. It's worth it to me. Uh, shit happens in the ballroom. The challenge is to learn how to deal with it. And once you learn how to deal with it, many of the problems you have at competitions will be part of the daily routine instead of just destroying your good time on the floor. So ways to prepare for those challenges are as such. You can practice on floors that are too tiny. Um, someday soon, I will take you on a tour of our house which is not big. Um, And we used to do full-out rounds um, for smooth in the little loop between our living room and our dining room and our kitchen and our entryway. And this was also probably when children were running around. So um, there's never a space that's too tiny to practice your floor craft. Hallways are great. Just don't, you know, buzz other people if you're in a crowded studio. Or, where did I leave off? Or you can section off a big ballroom with chairs and obstacles and people and your friends. You can practice with music that is too slow, too fast, and too long. You can practice at peak hours in the studio, again, with permission, please. Or create practice rounds with your buds, especially if they dance different levels than you, just because they'll have, like, a different sort of speed limit to their dancing and they won't be dancing like the same figures as you. So especially if you're doing standard, it helps. Uh, You can practice at 6 a.m. and midnight. If you do that, 10 points, gold star. Hit every studio showcase, local competition and performance opportunity available before you hit a comp. Please. (laughs) It'll make the competition just seem like a little stop up instead of like, a gigantic mind-blowing experience because most people's first competition, even if they've done all these performance opportunities beforehand, are like, what is going on? It's just a lot. Um, Competition organizers have put a lot of money and effort and time and thinking into putting on a great experience. And it's a pretty mind-blowing experience. So, you know, work up to it. 
This is my least favorite one, but it's important. Practice with your least favorite songs and genres. Like, put on music that you hate (laughs) and dance to it and sell your routines, man. Um, Practice by yourself. Like your routines. Not just, you know, rumble walks or whatever. Or sometimes with your partner next to you, but not in competition. Not in competition. Well, maybe in competition, but not in connection. So you're doing your routine side by side. It's really great practice for balance. Um, Practice with your buddies, purposely getting in your way. Practice charging your phone. This seems like an aside, but it's not. Before you go to sleep and setting seven alarms so you know you won't miss your heats. Um, Maybe if you're staying in a hotel, still call for a wake-up call. Have your friends call you. Have your boss call you. Have somebody who you won't hit snooze on get you awake because um, missing your first couple of heats is just not good for the rest of the day. And if you're a professional, please, 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 God, get up early. (laughs) The end. Um, Practice having fun. Make up a storyline for your routines. I personally totally destroyed the Death Star in my waltz. Um, Find your buddies on the sideline or your fans, as the case may be, and schmooze them. Pretend you are your dance hero and channel their performance style. All of those things. And then challenging your look, meaning like your exterior, um, your physical promise. As many coaches love to say, it's my favorite uh, way to describe like your look, your physical promise. Um, practice your hair and makeup millions of times, or at least two, so you know it's going to come out right or not come out, right? Um, one of the most distracted, distracting things as a uh, competitor, but also distracting to spectators and judges, is if your hair is weeble-wobbling around on the floor, uh, and it's in the middle of the round, you, there's nothing you can do about it. Like maybe you can find the lucky bobby pin that's going to like lock that sucker in for the rest of the round, but it's probably not going to happen and you're going to have really distracting hair. And whether they want to or not, judges usually are going to mark you down. Like just because it kind of shows you're unprepared. Oh, it sucks, right? Just telling you like it is. Um, practice in your real dress and hair and makeup, yes, all three, to make, your sh- to make sure your foot doesn't catch in your horse hair or your fringe doesn't bash your partner in the face on that one trick, and that you really look the way that you want to look. There's a million things that you might be like, I need more eyeliner, or uh, you know, my legs aren't matching my arm tan color. What a weird thing, but it happens. Um, or your hair needs more height on top. I don't know, like all of the things that can happen. So make sure that that all happens. Boys, practice in your fancy pants to make sure the length is correct. You only want to see a glimpse, glimpse, a glimpse, a glimpse of your pizza socks, not the whole pizza, the entire dance. Um, so for guys... My just really fast rule is if you're wearing your competition shoes and you have your fancy competition pants on and you stand up straight, the back 
of your pants should hit the ground. Like just graze the ground right behind your heel. So in the front, they'll break a little. They'll be a little right in the front. Um, maybe, they need a, maybe you need them longer. If you need a stirrup, you don't know what a stirrup is, ask somebody who knows. I just don't want to see your socks all day long. Even if they're fun socks. I don't want to see them. Let's see. Now we are on to practice your rollout, your bow, so you know how many turns you can confidently do, how to not get caught in your floats, and which way you are both going to face at the end of that rollout. I have seen funny rollouts where I'm like, those people have not practiced because they ended up facing different directions and not on purpose because sometimes you can do that on purpose, but then you know it's on purpose. Um, Make sure you practice those, all the things. Video your tech practice. Let's try again. Video your tech practice and see if your look is cohesive and then send that video or even pictures to some trusted coaches to see if they agree. Um, If anybody is invested in your dance future, they're probably going to make you dance that tech round for them anyways. Um, So you might not have to send them video or pictures. But if, you know, your coaches are generally out of town or whatever, like make sure that somebody that you trust is looking at your whole shebang before you put it on the floor. It will save you a world of hurt. (laughs) Um, And then if it looks good and everybody's like, dude, good. It looks good. Your physical promise looks great. Keep doing that same thing. Like same style dress, same color, same, you know, guys style. Because strangely, there are styles for guys. It just seems limited, but it's not. Um, Hair, makeup for both of you, um, whatever it looks like. If you can improve it, great. If people are like perfect A plus right out of the gate, then just keep doing the same thing. Don't be like, I'm going to do something new the next competition because that's just more work than you need. Okay, on to the next piece though. The perfect round. Working on all of these ideas will culminate in the perfect round, right? There is no perfect round. I've heard dancers talking about this concept in an ambiguous way. They danced visibly well, but they say it didn't feel right, or we, we ran into these couples, or I forgot to do that thing I've been working on, or I fell down, or what have you. A vacuum, the ballroom competition, is not as Yoda would say. I have two Star Wars references in here I would just like to add. Um, Well, dancing your routines to perfection ever is a nice idea. It's never going to happen, like for a full round. Dancing your shit to the best of your ability while keeping in mind all the interesting things that can happen while you're at a competition, as we listed, and your excellent, obviously already planned goals will keep your attitude in the right place, looking up and moving line of dance. So that would be a really good place to end. (laughs) I must have really thought about that last line. This is from March 8th, 
2018, I think. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, that would be a great place to end. But I'm not going to end it there. Um, So I would love for everybody who has an experience in the ballroom dance world to have a positive experience in the ballroom dance world. Um, I can go into that in future episodes. But if you are from the Midwest, I'm going to say specifically, but often other regions where you take lessons at just like off hours or whatever, often your ballroom experience is a bit of a vacuum. Like you're practicing floor craft, but nobody's in the ballroom with you. Um, It will seem like uh, an obstacle or a problem when there are other people in the ballroom with you if you're used to having zero people in the ballroom with you. Um, But if you go in and expect all of these things that you cannot control to happen, as I listed at the beginning, and you say, well, all of these things might happen. And you add in things like, I might be physically sick because of nerves or the stomach flu or whatever. Um, Then instead of saying, oh, I had this terrible experience because I ran into seven people. Or it's usually not even ran into seven people. Like seven people were within your like little bubble. And if you're usually dancing alone on a floor, your little bubble might be like seven feet wide. Um... If you're just taking into account that all these crazy things will happen, instead of being disappointed and frustrated by it, you might be like, okay, cool. Like, what can I do to overcome this? And that's really cheesy. I know. But if you go into it with this mindset of like, there's all these, I think, fun, fun experiences that you can have. Like, I did get tripped by another pro while I was dancing with my student um, at a pro-am competition. Pro-am. I think we were maybe doing silver and it wasn't like nationals or anything. Um, it's a hilarious experience. Like that's a story that you want to tell. Um, you know, if you get blocked in with three other couples as you're doing your standard quick step, and yeah, it sucks at the moment, but then you're like, oh, whatever, I got out of this and I still got third or whatever, you know, however it flushes out. It's still interesting. Like, You don't want to just go out to a dance competition and have everything go perfectly. I mean, you do. But then what's the story? I danced perfectly. And then I won all my stuff. But it's not really interesting. (laughs) And that's basically my philosophy on life. So if crap happens, deal with it, kind of expect it to happen, and be like, oh, I worked it out. There you go. That's going to be my anticlimactic ending to this episode. Thanks for joining me today. If you picked up what I laid down, leave a review for the podcast. Come back next time. And in the meantime, go forth and practice.